again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lunch Pail Podcast alongside Mike Nizolik, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. This is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We will try to bring some energy today. You Hokie fans could probably use a little energy, a little pick-me-up. Obviously, the topics that we're going to discuss aren't uh, sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, but uh, we'll get to them one at at a time. Uh, The Duke loss, the identity crisis of the offense, the QBs, Fuente on the hot seat, the Miami game, our pick three, and predictions as always. Mike, 45-10 was the final score. Uh, pretty much a disaster in all phases. Uh, what? Just get us going on your general thoughts of the game. Yeah, I mean, not much to add from what we talked about um, Friday night. When we kind of said it was a disaster. Uh, I mean, you look at it. Uh, it was funny. Caleb Farley was asked today why he tweeted an apology and said it was embarrassing. He's like, well. Because it was embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Some things are self-evident. Some things on its face are are what they are. Um, And it was bad. I mean, you're, you know, fans are, I think, upset uh, fairly at this, at the team right now and at the program in general. And, you know, I think part of the frustration, and we'll get to more about Fuente later, is that, you know, he kind of looks at it, you know, you can't overreact to one game, you know, and that's, fair but you can't take this game in a vacuum either because it's kind of the culmination of you know I, I wrote about the offense this week and this was kind of the culmination of just this this one in six stretch and the offense had long stretches of futility last year for halves and had and come and go but they'd still put up points put up yards and overall it looked okay and but now you've seen kind of just step back step back step back every week and um you know, the defense should get some criticism, and fairly, they sort of, you know, looked amazing in the first quarter and then just gave up after that, they gave up that touchdown and the intercept after the interception. Uh, but the offense, I think, uh, for me, again, and I and I keep saying this, but it just, it, and maybe it's because Fuente and Cornelson had six, has had so much success, and they have a history uh, even here of having success and, you know, getting quarterbacks to produce. Seems like Ryan Willis has taken just, you know, complete step backwards as well and so that's just to me is where everything kind of you know um the defense was still going to be a work in progress because they were still young and still kind of you know you're playing so- mostly sophomores mostly guys that are in there just their second year um, but this offense man is a it's a mess well i'm looking at the offensive line on the depth chart here not a single guy who's a junior or a senior and I know injuries are a part of that. But, Mike, I mean, how much responsibility lies at the feet of the coaching staff for not having more depth ready to go at this position, more experience ready to go at this position? Because we know that's where, you know, things start up there. And when when things look bad around the offense and you're wondering why, well, sometimes it's because where it's all starting up front is is, is leaking. Yeah, I mean they have depth and they they haven't had to use it so far. And you know T.J. Jackson, I guess, is still hurt. He played a little bit, I guess, in the second half. Zachariah Hoyt still not comfortable going back to him, so they're starting two true freshmen. They had Silas uh, Danzi back in the lineup, and Luke Tenuta was kind of out. Uh, didn't didn't play much in, in when the game was competitive. Um, I'm surprised at you know what they've done with the offensive line. They've left guys in that have struggled, but. You know, what are they going to do at the point where there's a couple guys injured and, you know, they're trying to get some chemistry now uh, with the guys that they have available. Um, but it doesn't fall on just the offensive line. I mean, you know, Ryan Willis wasn't making the throws that he was supposed to make. And, right. you know, you had the one, I think, kind of summed up the, the night where a crossing pattern that on a third down that wasn't going to get you the first down to begin with, and he caught it. Ryan Willis throws to Phil Patterson, who's right in front of him, and the ball just bounces off his side because he wasn't even looking at the ball. Right. So, I mean, that, the, you know... I. What do you do with that? That's the complete failure, you know, and two of their basically 50 percent of their offense came on two plays. And, you know, the Hazleton one was late and had really no bearing on anything. You know, the Deshaun McLeese run came kind of when a time when maybe they could have gotten back into it. But, you know, they kept trying to run the ball. And I don't know if they had to get away from that sooner because it wasn't working. I mean, they they, they I ran through the numbers. I mean, they carry gave it to like I think nine different players carried the ball and, you know, McLeese was the only one that had any kind of success and that was just really the one run but um just a just a a, a mess of epic proportions you know I mean I'm curious and I've only been here and I you know I've looked at the scores and you could see on paper but it's hard to get a feel um 
historically, I mean, some people compared it to a Miami game, and Isaiah Ford, former receiver, said that it was a 2014 or 15, his freshman year, um, similar. Uh, can you compare this to any loss that you've seen, especially a, a home game at Lane Stadium? I, I do remember that Miami game, and, and I remember that being sort of the beginning of the end for Frank. I mean, you just kind of could see that they were bereft of answers, and this was, you know – kind of snapped in your head because there had been plenty of talk you know oh frank is you know at the end of his line here you know he he should he should retire he should give it up uh they they need to find some new blood but it, it was in that game that i remember thinking to myself yeah this is this pretty much underscores it i mean because there was frank always had a way of when he needed that victory to save the coastal chase or to save the uh, the morale around Blacksburg, he would get it. Uh, he would, quote, unquote, turn up the wick, which is the title of his first book. Um, we always would joke about that. You know, so that, that was 14, and that was uh, lost 30 to 6. Yeah, it was miserable. Um, but I think this is worse, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, it's Duke. It's Duke. It's not Miami. Miami's won national championships, okay? Duke – and, and I picked Duke last week when we were on here, and I said they would win by two touchdowns, and I, I thought that I was being a little harsh. I wasn't being near harsh enough. I mean, and it wasn't – you know, you and I were talking a little bit about this in the media room today. I was like, this wasn't a bunch of special teams gaffes, or this wasn't a bunch of pick sixes. This wasn't a bunch of crazy fumbles where uh, Duke's picking it up and running the other way, and you could just say, well, it was all kind of fluky stuff that just snowballed on them. Now they just beat them. And they beat them, and they kept beating them, and they kept beating them, and then they run a fake punt and beat them even more. You know, they completed the the trifecta of, <laughs> you know, offense, defense, and special teams with that fake punt. I thought the fake punt was interesting, to say the least, and I'm sure it'll be talked about a little bit next year when they play each other again. But the the solution is to stop them, and, and Virginia Tech could. Right, and, um, you know, it sort of completed, like you said, just kind of the complete all three phases except Oscar Bradburn, I guess, could hold his head high, uh, the MVP. He's the, a good the, the punter. Yeah. He's a good punter. Um, but, you know, just ugly. <laughs> it's just really well, here's the thing. ugly. I mean, you look at their record, they're 2-2, two and two, but if you look at against the spread, they're 0-4, and, and they're one of only a handful of teams in the country that are 0-4. And, and I'm not saying that because people should care whether betters are losing money or not. That's not the point. The point is, relative to public expectations, you've been a total flop. You have not done anything at all to uh, give people faith that this thing is moving in the right direction. Um, we, we, you know, we, we touched on identity a bit. I mean, that was interesting. Ryan Willis was asked about it after the game, and everything was, of course, still raw. And he basically said it was a better question for the all, you know, well, for, yeah, McLeese and Hazelton, they all kind of – they were at a loss uh, for explaining the kind of offensive struggles. And then I asked Fuente, and he said, well, we don't have an offensive identity. And it's like, well, you're four weeks into the season, and you're, you're – you know, and we t he talked about kind of on Monday not making – you know, you can't make wholesale changes. So I, I'm at a loss for, like, what well, – what, how do you do that? Then? You know, like, how do you establish an identity a month in the season after you've spent – eight months planning for this and you're not going to make crazy changes. You're not making a staff change and personnel changes are limited. I mean, the only real thing we're going to talk about QBs here and kind of lump it in, I guess, is your identity would change with Hendon Hooker. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but I, and that ultimately, you know, his presence alone makes you a different team because he's a different kind of quarterback. Sure. But other than that, I mean, what are you going to just suddenly start running the ball because you want to like, I mean, that I, I don't know how you do that now. Mid-season. Well, here's the interesting thing. Uh, I asked Lasita Smith today. He's one of the offensive linemen. He's a left guard. And uh, he was great in the interview room today. I, I hope we get to talk to him more because he, he was very thoughtful in all of his answers. And I said, if you could have an identity of your choosing, what would your identity be? And he said, we would be meaner. We would be tougher. We would be rugged is a word he used. I like I that word. Rugged. rugged. Um, physical. He also mentioned being more physical. Be more yeah. physical. Yeah. I mean, these are some, some of the things we heard from Jerry Kill, too, last week that they, he thought that the, could any program could use a little bit more of that. 
Um, but that's not the, the problem I have with that is it's nice in theory. And, and I understand what the is saying. I absolutely. Sure. But how do you suddenly go, you know, same thing with the defense or Bud Foster's like, well, we were immensely tough. We just didn't respond to adversity. We shut down. Well, they haven't really responded to adversity kind of going back to last season. It's like, how do you suddenly this week be like, all right, this is the week we get it. You know, it's like th- there's only so much you could do. You know, I look at it, and and I get and, and Fuente sort of disagrees. Where you can't reinvent the wheel, you can't make wholesale changes. Um, but if you can't, you can't make players overnight change their sort of demeanor. Or like you know, it's more. You, I I think you have to change scheme or play calling or, or do something else. Like I don't know how you wake up mean and yeah, tough. Yeah, it's it's a nebulous concept to right. say you're just going to go in there and be a more nasty type of team. But you think about some of the great teams uh, of yesteryear, the ones that were anchored. Um, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting his name now. The center who went on to play for the Raiders for many years. But he was known as just a nasty, nasty guy. And uh, he coached at Jefferson Forest. And, uh, gosh, how can I not know? First-round pick. Anyway, it'll come to me later. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you know who you are out there. But, you know, th- th- there was a, an edge to to the Hokies, uh, and it started with their line because they were a running team, and and it's and they don't they don't have that. Well, um, defensively, I don't think it's possible with the, the way that they've recruited sort of smaller, yeah, but you know, more agile guys. I, I don't I'm know watching that, that first quarter, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, they came to play tonight. These guys came to play. They're they're hoarding them. They're they're you know they held them to less than a uh, yard yeah, per play. Per play. Yeah. Um, they looked fantastic, and and I was like, maybe this is the night they're turning the corner. And then you're right. One thing happens. Uh, all of a sudden, the dam breaks, and uh, neither side's working well. I mean, the offense wasn't working well all night, but uh, the defense all of a sudden's not working well either. So. And, you know, with the defense, you know, no identity too, when you talked about physical play, the, I think the concerning thing, and, and Foster kind of t- – Bud Foster talked about this a little bit, and Taiwan Gabbard, you know, I asked him about adjustments and because I, I thought they were talking about making adjustments at halftime that they weren't making adjustments. He said it's more that they're not making adjustments. They'll – practice all week and scheme for duke and and see what duke is doing but then when duke came out and gave different looks than what they were seeing you know like tweak things from what they had been planning for they didn't adjust to that and foster said you know we just we saw things that we should know like you know they flipped something and we should be able to execute that we should be able to see it we should be able to pinpoint it and still do it even though we didn't practice for it and so that is really you know, you talk about hard, smart, tough. That comes to the smart part. I was going to say. And it's like, what, what is going on with that? That this, t- you know, and he said youth is an excuse anymore. You can't, you, we should, we've, we've thrown everything that they're going to see at them and they should be able to execute that stuff. Cause you know, you think adjustments, cause last year they struggled with halftime adjustments. You know, right. Bud would say we didn't really, we couldn't switch gears. So we really struggled, but this goes back to, you know, not even making adjustments from what you're seeing. And that's, concerning to say the least um and do you, you know do you go to different players do you, what do you do because that you know duke wasn't you know they they, they they did the one trick play they did the fake punt but it wasn't crazy stuff you know it, it shouldn't have been you know a bubble screen that, that you got to be able to read that and he's he i think he pointed that play he said you know that's unexcus- inexcusable right Yes, we make fun of the hard, smart, tough crap. We make fun of the grit crap. But uh, that is their stated identity. That was your that slogan. Is your you stated have to live slogan, up to it. Yeah. And you're not, you know, you're whiffing on those right now. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm not tougher than any of those guys in that locker room. I'm not going to sit here and call them not tough or soft or anything like that. I'm just saying it, it, relative to what your stated goals are, well, you're not like, playing that. Right, and it's like, you know uh, – we're not saying we could do it, but it's like if you're <laughs> right. studying. But it's, it, the example is if you're in school and you're studying for a test all week and you ask a question that's slightly different than what you studied for, you have to be prepared for it, right? right. And these, these are, are essay questions you take on Saturday. Right. And They're these, not multiple choice. Right. And so, like, these guys are working at this, like, hours upon hours and, you know, spent all fall camp and scheming these things and doing this in practice. And that was the concerning thing to me that jumped out defensively. It's like, you know, they're not suddenly going to be a different team. You know, they are what they are. They are they have the players they have. But, you know, if they're not making those simple adjustments, it's going to be a, a long season. So I, that, that's kind of what jumps out to me on, on defensively. You know, we've talked a lot about offense and, and then their lack of identity. But defensively, what are they going to hang their hat on? Because right now, you know, they have 
they've had two stretches where they've looked like that third quarter against Boston College, first quarter against uh, Duke, and those kind of look like the fluke, right? That's right. the fluke, and and then the rest of it's kind of what they are. Um, so that would be kind of, I don't, you know, you, you, as a fan, you got to be kind of worried about where this defense at two years into kind of this rebuild. Absolutely, and you look at the numbers, and in the ACC, I mean, they're second to last in run run defense. Um, you know, and then the teams that you know it, they're like they have the thirteenth ranked passing defense in the country right now. But teams have sort of said like, look. We're not going to pass. What what do we need to do that for? Right. Like we'll eventually break through on the run. You know, Duke couldn't in the first quarter, but it just it, it seems like well we'll just keep at it. We'll eventually get it. Right. All right. Let's move on to QBs. Um, Justin Fuente declined to name a starter so far for this week. I think we can probably assume it's not going to be Quincy Patterson running out there, right? I mean, uh, unless their injuries are worse than they've said. We don't know because I mean they've talked about you know they kept that trying to. We knew kind of Willis was banged up because those hits he took, the you know, walking around in a boot on campus and things like that. And uh, Hendon, I guess, took a hit on his shoulder when he came in uh, when Willis was knocked out. Um, and so they're both kind of banged up. So if those got worse or there's something, some issue, you know, obviously they're – I don't think you could rule anything out at this point, but I don't think he'd be the option if everybody's healthy, I guess is the way I'd word it. Okay, let's assume everyone's healthy. Who trots out there? <laughs> Don't you – do they get – it's sort of like it, – it's a philosophical thing. It's like do you go with do – you, do, you, do you sense that you could save the season and think that Ryan Willis is capable of doing that? Or do you start looking sort of like, well, we've got to look with one eye kind of towards getting this thing, you know, the future a little bit and take – we're going to take lumps, right? So Hendon's our best bet to sort of build a little bit because – at some point, you have to, if you're going to lose games, cut bait with Ryan Willis. And that's no offense to him, but there's no reason to, you know, if you're a two and six team, to start a senior quarterback. Answer the question, Michael. Who trots out there? I got an answer. You want, me, you want my answer? I'm going to say Ryan Willis, and you know why I'm going to say that? Because of the, the steps that Fuente went to through the other night on Friday to ensure that he, you know, everybody knew, hey, look, you can't put this all on Ryan Willis. And, I, and look, you would you would assume he would protect his player no matter what. But I think he was also saying that to say, <laughs> I think part of him still believes that Ryan Willis is the best option for them to win games. I guess, I mean, if it was me, <laughs> I probably would put somebody else in there. Hooker. You'd put Hooker. Hooker or Patterson. I don't know if I'd be Hooker. I mean, I, you'd have to see. Yeah. But, you know, um, I, I don't know how comfortable. That's the other thing. They're not comfortable with him throwing the ball. Like I guess it doesn't make it. It's like why would you put him out there? So, uh, I in my gut answer, I think Willis, just because I think they 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 want to project the fact that they're not giving up on the season. And right. I think if you go to Hooker or pa Patterson, especially, you're saying we're not very good right now. Right. We got to try something different, and even if we lose, we got to build. And they are not there yet. And maybe it's just a matter of three more weeks. Now you're going to beat Rhode Island, but if you lose to Miami. And then you lose North Carolina. There's no reason Willis needs to see another game. Back up here, they're going to beat Rhode Island. I, are, are they? I mean, are they? Yeah, they'll beat Rhode Island. Okay. I mean, I haven't looked at Rhode Island's uh, yeah, they'll be Rhode Island. body that, of work this no, season, but I mean, I, no, I mean, Ferrum could march in there, and I yeah. wouldn't be like, well, they're going to beat Ferrum. They're just going to be. They'll, they'll be Rhode Island. But if you're a 30 point loss at Miami, and then you lose a, a couple touchdowns to North Carolina. I don't think it's any discussion at that point. But that right now, I just uh, I get the sense that he's not the panic type. He's yeah. not the reactionary type. And so, unless Willis is really hurt, because that's the other thing. I would go with Hooker or Patterson if Willis is hurt and you're going to rotate. Because right. rotating, I think, is just a, is just you're always one foot on the step of disaster. Because you saw a Hooker messes up the hand exchange handoff exchange, which was also King's fault, Fuente said. And then the offense was just done after that. Like, right. they had nothing left. And Hooker, you know, tried a couple more times, got two more opportunities. But, you know, you kind of just kill all the – I mean, they had no offensive momentum to begin with. But, you know, Willis's confidence is shattered. Hooker can't get anything going. I, I, I don't think you want both. I, I think you I want agree. to go with one. And so if Willis is healthy enough, I think they go with him. If it's injury-related, you got to go with the healthiest guy. But Agreed. 
Well, uh, fans might not like. I'm going to answer every every scenario. And no, no, a different it's answer, nuanced and it's good. I mean, I, I think it's Willis is the guy if he's healthy. That's basically the bottom line. I would probably go with Hooker, but I think in the in three weeks, um, if they're what would it be three and four with two more ACC losses, you can't. You've got to make a change. Here's my thought, uh, and fans might not like this this take, but if if Willis is healthy, I'm going with Willis. The reason being, Miami's been very good against the run statistically this year. You're going to have to throw the ball a lot. You're getting Hazleton back. I mean, he, he caught a long touchdown pass in that game against Duke. He was one, one of the few bright spots in that game. Uh, he, he was in there talking to us today, so it looks like he's going to play again. Um, so, I mean, he uh, – I think Willis gives you – at least from what I've seen. I mean, and it's not – it's a fraction of what Coach Fuente has seen. But he gives right, you the best the chance thing, like, to have a one of those games where you score 35, 40 points and maybe have a chance down there in, in South Beach. And maybe there's a, reason, a valid reason why they're scared to have Hooker really throw the ball because, you know, they're not comfortable with what yeah, he be. can do. They said he's – you know, I asked Fuente if he's comfortable with him doing everything in the passing game. He said yes. Yeah. What else is he going to say? But at the same time, you know, they see it. And so, you know, we don't, but it, it would be a hard week to sort of go, you know, because I think if you go to Hooker, and I mentioned this earlier, your identity changes and you're going to run probably 70, 80% of the time. Right. And this isn't probably the team to be doing that. You're just playing into their, their strength. Right. And so maybe you save Hooker to try to build them up a little for that North Carolina game or, you know, after the bye week after that North Carolina game um, where you can kind of give him some time to get settled. Um, but a loss here, then you're starting to talk like I, I think you have to sh- sort of – Shift gears. Agreed. Yeah, and you know, you know me. I'm run the dang ball guy, but I'm not saying right. that. You I'm go, not saying you don't that go against week. a top ten defense, run defense, yeah, or whatever horses. it is, and say we're going to try to run against you and, and just yeah. get flattened. Horses you know? for courses. You're going to have to pitch it around this week for sure. Okay, let's get to the meat of what everyone's talking about. Justin Fuente, hot seat. Um, let's just start with wh- how hot is the seat? How how uh i guess it's warm it's yeah in, it's been in the sun <laughs> okay there's a difference between how hot his seat is with fans and how hot <laughs> with fans <laughs> right. there's no seat anymore he doesn't get a no, seat at the table yeah, he's he's been put down the cur- it's it's garbage week you know where like they pick up the big garbage <laughs> they've put his chair with him on it on the curb and are waiting for the uh the pickup um unfortunately uh for him but um, his boss <laughs> is what matters. Whit Babcock is what matters. So right. how hot do you think his seat is with Whit Babcock? I mean, Luke, you know, warm. I mean, it's, look, four 20-point losses in the last seven ACC games. They're trending in the wrong direction. I mean, you can't feel comfortable, right? I mean, no. on his face, you're, you know, you start losing games like that, you're not feeling comfortable. Is it com- is it to the point where they can fire him and change the direction? I don't think so uh just because of the the contract because of the situation because look bud foster's retiring anyway at the end of the year it'd be hard to kind of just totally wipe out everything and start over uh when you know just even before last season everybody was really excited about the direction of the program um whip doesn't seem like a reactionary person he seems very um uh patient and controlled and um thoughtful and so um, unless they, lo- unless he loses the team here in the next that's, eight weeks, that's what I was going to say. Uh, you, I think and it's my turn to be a little wishy-washy here because we're a month into the season. That's it. It's a one month into the season. There's, there's eight games guaranteed nine. If you get to a bowl, which we're all looking at saying that's going to be a real tough road to hoe right now, but Things in December could look, uh, when we know, and I know what they look like right now. They don't look very good. They don't look like they're going to win any more games. They certainly don't look like they're going to win on Saturday. But it, things can change. You know, things can change. You can galvanize things, and I think you want your full set of data before you go running off and saying people need to be fired. I mean, you know, Berman's sending me texts again being like, when are you going to write about this Fuente thing? What do you want me to write? That he's not getting it, the job done? I think he knows that. I think everybody knows that. Like, do you want me to write that he should be fired? Well, then you write it because I don't believe that. I don't believe you fire him on October 1st. I think it's ridiculous. What's that going to do? Yeah, uh, no, you don't fire him. You know, it's, it's more like, and, you know, like you said, like, look, if they were to lose out and lose to Rhode Island, you know, 
in two months, you're probably not going to be able to make much of a defense, right? Like, right. If yeah. you win two more games and they're four and eight, and they were they're competitive at some, you know, they maybe a couple blowouts, but they're competitive in most of the spots. Do you really want to re restart? Do you really want to wipe it clean? You know, it's. And how do the players react? Do they keep playing right. for they him playing? all the way through right. the end? Are, are they fighting in that Virginia game? Is that Virginia game uh, close, or does Virginia stomp you, you in the throat? I mean, the things that the things that have killed Virginia coaches over the years, the Al Groves and the Mike Londons, is that they get just destro- destroyed by Virginia Tech in the last game of the season. They don't make a bowl, and that's the lingering thought. And it's like you can't keep this guy around. Right when you just the last punctuation mark on the season was you getting bumped by your rival, that and, and right, the same Bryce, could happen to Virginia Tech. Bryce Perkins scored seven touchdowns. Yeah, I mean that's not going to be a good image to end the season. I think that. all of it matters. I think you need oh, all yeah, the data the points. Thing, yeah. All the data points matter. So we'll we'll revisit this as needed. But uh, you know I'm going on record now as saying I would like to see the rest of the season play out before I form any sort of opinion on what what Virginia Tech should do with their coach, their head coaching position. And I think part of the problem is the way he is, and he's very uh, – uh, he's not very emotional, uh, very secretive about kind of the team, doesn't say much. Um, wasn't a problem when they're winning. It becomes a problem when they're lo- losing because fans want something to grab onto, and he does not. He He's uh, – you know, when he gets up at the press conference and says we can't – make huge changes I, you know i don't want you what, what what do you think we should do you know the fans are you know uh you know think they have answers but they don't see it you know those aren't things that endear yourself to fans when you're struggling and um i think that's part of the problem is that um his personality um which you know is more m- much more closed off and um than his predecessor certainly and what their fans were used to um, works when you're winning, but when you're losing, it becomes a liability a little bit, especially compared to what was here previously. And that was only one guy for 20 years. So it's not like you've had three different guys. And so, oh, you've seen this before. You know, Frank was a much different <laughs> type of personality. And, you know, Fran, f- fans remember that it's still fresh. They still a beloved figure. He's still around. So it's just and that comparison doesn't do Fuente any favors because, you know, he's seen as sort of just um I think they just see him as detached mm-hmm. and they and they sort of attribute that. And I think they think that he's like that with his players. And um, I don't think that's true. You know, we talked uh, Ezekiel Grim, uh, Hezekiah Grimsley talked about how they had emotional sit down. He was telling, you know, it's probably his mom and when they really, you know, helped him and they, 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 they cried together or whatever. And so it's like. You know, fans see what they want to see, but at the same time, he's presenting that. That's the what he's presenting to the world, right. and and I think that hurts him right now, um, just because you know fans want to feel better. Yeah, and I don't think they feel better after he's spoken after the game or after he's spoken on on Monday. I brought this up to the other reporters today, and I don't think I got a lot of uh, agreement from everybody. But I I juxtaposed it with with Bronco Mendenhall, and I know they're three and one, so that's a different record. But or they're four and one. They're four and one. Uh, but you know, after they lost at Notre Dame, he came out and said, "Here's what we need to do. We need to run the ball better. We we cannot run the ball like this and win games. We just can't. We're you know." And they've got a very similar situation on their offensive line where they're struggling uh, up front, and they're you know they're giving up a ton of sacks up there. So I mean, they they they've got issues beyond just being able to run the ball. But he's made that his central focus. And I think you can see, and he does that a lot. Bronco does that a lot. I mean, before the season, he said 3.5 yards. That's what, that's exactly what we want our uh, rushing yards uh, average against to be under, you know, that's, we've, we've done, we've run the numbers. That's the number. And it's just sort of that clarity that, that Bronco seems to give you, uh, give the fan base is, is just, I, I think very different than what, Fuente has been doing with, you know, well, we just need to get better at executing everything. We're not going to make wholesale changes. We need to do this. We don't. We, we need to do a lot of things better. Well, yes, I, I guess, but, like, people, <laughs> no argument well, that there. Answer, no yeah. argument there. When he's but, like, when, he's like uh, is that, when, when uh, he was asked, uh, is he going to take over play calling? He's like, that's not what needed. And then he was, the follow-up was, well, what is needed? And a lot is needed. And it's like, well, that is not. Where does that get us, right? Where I mean, right. I know he's not going to share like, well, I need to do this and this and this on scheme or whatever. But 
you know, some sort of example of something that you're doing that you feel that, you know, I think fans want specificity. I mean, it's not like he's doing nothing. How about they, they, they just assume that he's not doing anything, which is not true. How about a true, simple but. something like this? Our passing game isn't near what we thought it would be coming into the season, and that is our number one priority. Right, make or number one concern. Number or, yeah, one concern yeah. is to make that better, whether that means changing personnel, whether that means changing scheme, whether that means changing the play calling. We will do whatever it takes to make sure that passing game runs like it was supposed to when we came into this season. Something like that, I think – people they're still going to be mad but yeah no say, it doesn't okay, it's you know fuente could say what, what i mean sure it, what it, it doesn't i guess it doesn't, ultimately doesn't matter they're going to be mad regardless right. but i think that this has been building in the sense that this fans were didn't love the way he is when they were winning and what you know it, it, you take the personality when you're win 10 games right it does you know it is what it is but when you're losing then it becomes it just at compounds um two things that i wanted to bring up that i i i we thought were interesting fair or foul uh with fans being upset he didn't talk to the 1999 team on friday night fair you think that's fair yeah i think it's fair so i i, I you know i i think and you know there's a couple uh more players uh, one player I, I was ike charlton did a radio interview said you know older players aren't welcome or you know and, and i guess this has been a problem going back a couple of years but i don't know how fair that one is because they lost their ops person, and it seems like a per ops job to kind of get that and make sure that that happened. Not Fuentes. You know, Fuentes preparing for a Friday night game. We don't know when the 1999 team got there. A lot of yeah. them got there at kickoff. Yeah, that's fair. And after kickoff, they got their heads kicked in, right. and he probably wasn't the first thing he wasn't thinking, like, I got to go see Michael Vick. He's, Frank Beamer is very close with the program. He's there all the time, so sure. it's not like he's, they're ignoring him. But um, uh, just something I had saw, saw in the kind of the consciousness of the fan base where – the 1999 team, because I was looking at them before the field, I was there two hours, and mm. the, no, nobody was there until about 40 minutes, 30 minutes before kickoff. Mm. And Fuente's in the back, and they're making their final preparation, so we couldn't do it then. They were on field on the halftime field for like five minutes. It was really a pretty weak celebration to begin with. Um, but I thought that was interesting because fans are like are furious with the coaching staff right now, and that was one of the reasons they, oh, look at what they're doing. But that one I thought was a little out of bounds in the sense that I don't think that was a conscious decision for him to know that 1999. Yeah, let me yeah let me rephrase and say I agree with you that that somebody within the Virginia Tech athletics department should have made sure that and that, you know Daniel Barberstein lost to the they lost her to the college football playoff. Yeah, they've got people kind of filling in and doing it. That's a thing where it's like your structure. Sure, I think it's a criticism there. The structure should be better. That shouldn't happen. Yeah. but at the same time, the way the game went. I don't know that that was something that was on the top of his mind, um, you know, to be like, well, I got to see this 1999 team while my players are, you know, probably crying in the locker room because they're so upset or whatever. Right. Second thing was, is this narrative that he can't recruit. I find fascinating. They have a bad recruiting class right now. Okay. That for this year, um, really ranked really low at the bottom of the ACC or second to last. Um, it's going to be a small, small, small class though. Cause they only have, you know, no seniors. But he's recruited well the last two years. And, you know, I think it's still to to be written how these players turned out. But it wasn't like Frank Beamer in his sort of last four years, I mean, pretty par for the course of what this uh, program was doing. Uh, you know, and, and I know fans are going overboard with sort of this criticism, but some of the things I think you got to put in perspective. And I think Pete Thamel in, in his article criticizing Virginia Tech, you know, said that the recruiting's not been good or they haven't been able to bring talent. They had seven four-star signees last year, which was the most in program history. Yeah, and so it's just that narrative seems fascinating to me. That are they recruiting the right talent? I don't know because I mean some of these guys are so so young. Here's, you don't know. Here's the interesting thing about recruiting, and I'm not going to pretend to be a. a I'm not a guru, expert. but I mean I'm just uh, the numbers and and sort of the talent they've brought in is all not. I, all I know less. really is that you know, who do fans get excited about when they end up signing? Well, it, it was guys like uh, Devin Hunter. It was guys like Quincy Patterson. It was guys like Dax Hollyfield. Now, uh, you know, Devin Hunter's listed as a backup to Reggie Floyd. Quinn Patterson's the third-string quarterback. Dax is a starter. Uh, I think he's had his share of struggles, just as they all have on that side of the ball. You know, the the, the rankings – you know, you're getting some of these guys that you want, and maybe they're not perfect fits for what you're trying to do. I don't know why, why, why some of them aren't making bigger impacts than they are. But, you know, Keyshawn King is another one I think people were very excited about. 
you know, it's, it's taken him a little time to get involved and, and, and really become what people want to see out of him. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's like, like you said, it sounds like there's some guys that at least, uh, uh, nationally are, are viewed in a positive light that they're bringing into the program. And maybe it's just not working on with or, you the know, way it should time to be determined. And, you know, you go back, here's some of the guys that are for Frank's last couple of classes. These are the, the these are the, the four stars, uh, Tim Settle obviously worked out. This was 15. Worked out. The other couple, Austin Clark, didn't finish his career. Had a, took a medical redshirt. Dwayne Lawson, he was the quarterback everybody was excited right. about, gone. Uh, and Xavier Burke uh, and Yosh Neisman, who had an okay career. 2014, the top of this class, Holland Fisher, Shy McKenzie. No. No. Uh, Trayvon McMillan had the one good season. Chris Durkin. And uh, Raymond Miner, that was the, the top five players, and four of those out of the five were four stars. So, you know, it's funny that, you know, the narrative gets rewritten of history, you know, yeah. that Frank was doing everything right at the end of his tenure and everything was clicking on all cylinders. And that's not fair because it wasn't. No. Um, but obviously the bottom hasn't didn't fall out as it seems like it's on the, you know, hasn't yet because, like you said, they're two and two, but on the brink of sort of, everything going wrong there is one other thing i wanted to mention about that duke game before we move on to miami sure and, and it's it's something you wrote about going into that game and, you, and if you were out there at the game you saw the people in the pink walking around getting you know oh, the drive to, for 25 yeah, donations yeah, yeah, yeah. for the drive for 25 that is a just uh brutal i mean i'm sure it's like you know scheduling your homecoming game in high school you know you right. want to get somebody you can beat i think they probably <laughs> felt that at least the duke game they had a the good donations shot of dropped winning. off pretty off a steep cliff yeah. how how devastating is that i mean for for that to coincide with the, the worst loss in what 45 years at home i mean that is just i was gonna pull up the final numbers it's bad it was like, timing right? it was like you know six they, they were doing really well they were on pace to like because they had raised it was it was 2.5 days this year um and it was 24 hours last year they raised um nine hundred thousand dollars last year and had like six a high 600s low 700s kind of going into the game and the day and they were really looking forward to everything kind of thinking that they would um break those numbers and i think it ended up at like 740 uh -huh. so like it just <laughs> i mean there's people that are gonna they just love the program so much they're gonna pony up some money every year regardless and and you know win lose or draw but I mean, you can understand why people like if you come with your hand out and and they look up at the scoreboard and it says forty five. Now it's up to eight hundred ninety three. That's okay. been that's jumped one hundred twenty in the last like it's since the end of it. So maybe they had some matches that they added, but no, maybe it just did. maybe Justin made a little donation. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, your point being that uh, the optics of it uh, were not good, um, but. The optics of losing by four touchdowns are, are home, never good. Right. Are, you know, the worst loss of four decades is probably never good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you probably took the pink shirt off before you got back to the parking lot and, and hit it in the car. Um, uh, but, yeah, no, that was uh, – that that did not go as probably planned. All right, let's get to they, my – They were worried about rain. They probably were like, where's that rain? <laughs> All right. Did you hear that thunder? We should all get under a tent away from public view. All right. Let's get to Miami. Miami, uh, no great shakes. I mean, they opened as uh, eight and a half point favorites. That was quickly blasted up to 13 and a half. I mean, these betters, these early betters are wisely deciding that the Hokies are a bad pick right now. And they're, they're winning lots of money right now so far. Uh, but Miami, you know, they're two and two. Uh, oh, and one in the league. Just like the Hokies, right? No, oh, the Hokies are 0-2 in the league. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, you know, we already talked about their run defense being pretty stout. I, mean, I think the defense is the strength of their team. What do the Hokies need to worry about with uh, this this Miami crowd? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's getting on the road. I think the environment will be tough. And if you're talking about adversity, you're going to have to deal with some adversity uh, this weekend. And obviously they play – uh, former Tech player Trayvon Hill, who's a backup defensive lineman for Miami. Uh, one interesting stat, uh, a reporter from ESPN tweeted, um, rate of pressure allowed versus FBS schools right now, Miami, 41% of the time their offensive line is allowing pressure. So obviously their offensive line is a, is a, is a weak spot. Um, they had Jaron Williams at, at, at quarterback. Um, I, I don't think they're as talented as they – 
uh, have been at skill positions in previous years. They still got that uh, K.J. Osborne, the Buffalo transfer, who's a very talented receiver. Um, you, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a Miami team, I think, looking for – uh, you know, they, they rely on that defense and run defense, but still kind of figuring out who they are under Manny Diaz, their first year coach. Um, so this isn't, I think, a team in midseason form by any stretch. Uh, but, you know, we, you know, I think it's best, best case scenario right now for Tech is that Duke is the best team in the Coastal by far. And they had a bad night and they're not as bad as what they showed. But even still, I think Miami's got to be a couple, you know, as we've seen the betting lines, a couple of touchdown favorite based on what we've seen, you know, can they get to 10 points? I mean, I think Virginia's better than Duke. I think North Carolina, what the scare they put in Clemson, they're showing they're pretty I'm saying pretty best stout. case scenario. I'm yeah. saying best case scenario. I'm not saying <laughs> legitimate scenario. I'm saying if well, Duke ends up being the best team in the Coastal runs well, that, through that, everybody, yeah. that's your best case scenario for Virginia Tech because right. that list doesn't look nearly as bad. Right. And you can try to pick up your pieces. But if Duke – is okay like we've kind of thought and Miami's okay and you still lose by three four five touchdowns that's not good let me throw this out there you said you know they're gonna have to deal with some adversity being on the road I would argue that they're better off being on the road right now Mm, and I I think they're eight and five in the ACC under Fuente Um, under Frank they were road warriors in the ACC for many years Um, part of uh, going on the road is sort of that us versus the world mentality. Uh, you, you know, when you're in Lane Stadium, the way things are going right now for that offense, if it were to struggle, if you were to get two, three and outs in a row, let's say, to start the game, even like what we saw against Duke where they did, you know, couldn't get things going really offensively early on, you start to hear the murmurs. And you start to think about it's the – louder than murmurs. You start right to now. think about the tweets that are going to be showing up on your timeline. And you start to think about the, the texts you're going to get from your buddies. When you're in Miami, it's just – this is just let's play. Like we're we're you here. Can find some entertainment to get your mind off. Well, that's there. true. And, and and with it being a three thirty game, I don't think it's going to be like a lion's den like it was two years ago when they went down there. That place was as, as great of an atmosphere, honestly, as I'd seen since LSU at LSU. I mean, it was so rowdy and so. I mean, they can get it like that. It doesn't happen often, but they got it that night. Uh, it won't be like that for this. This is, you know, two two and two teams going at it in, in the mid-afternoon. So this is more like what I think what you're used to seeing with these, the old Miami games where uh, the crowd will be, you know, a, a non-factor. Well, but, and, I mean, my, my view of it, and I do agree to some extent that, you know, maybe the road is the answer because, you know, you got, you got to just get away from it. But at the same time, you know, Lane Stadium did a pretty good job showing up against Duke and that lo- got loud in that first quarter. They did. And so, and if that can't get you going and that can't help you kind of respond to things, because even after the touchdown, the defense rallied to get a stop and, you know, the, the crowd got into it early in the third quarter and, um, and it's still nothing. So yeah. it's just hard to say that, you know, getting away from it's the answer when, you know, you had the crowd behind you and it was probably 85, 90% full, I would think. And, you know, it was a, a whiteout and they were, they, they had it loud, even though that they hadn't been given much to cheer for offensively, the defense had them going crazy and it still stunk it up. Well, who was the, was it Eisenhower, the president that phrased, that coined the phrase, the crisis of confidence? I mean, the Hokies yeah. have a crisis of confidence right now. And and I think that sums it up pretty good. And yeah. I think being at home would not. Although I asked uh, Coach Fuente um, if uh, Ryan Willis's confidence, you know, if he was worried about it, and he said he doesn't like they. They had a discussion the other day about the word confidence as a staff. They don't like the word confidence. So okay. uh, maybe it's not crisis. Maybe it's crisis of just feeling good about yourself. Yeah, so we'll prefer say, confidence. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, confidence. <laughs> that too, I guess you could say. But yeah, so. Uh, just all around, um, the everything is going wrong, and they gotta get something. They gotta, figure, they, they gotta, gotta show something, something here. Yeah, okay. Let's get to our uh, pick three, and then we'll do our predictions at the end. All right. Uh, my first one, uh, Amazon Prime, Delia, Billy Bob Thornton. He's a lawyer, a very eccentric, not eccentric, I, more like just alcoholic and <laughs> <laughs> depressive and. Um, uh, just a drunk. Yeah, yeah, just a drunk. Um, first season was really good. Second season was okay. Uh, he was very good in it. It's got some good supporting people. Dennis Quaid is going to be in the new season as sort of the villain. Um, so uh, 
I'm hopeful the show will bounce back and it'll be good because it is fun. Uh, when Billy Bob Thornton gets a role, he can kind of sink his teeth into. He's 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 as good of an actor as there is, and he he likes playing this character, and it shows. So that's on Friday. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, he's a stud. He's a great actor. Uh, my first one, October first. We're taping this on October first, which is Tuesday, man. October runaway winner for best month of the year, no question. Forty-two years in a row, I've named it my my favorite month of the year. When you were zero, you yes, had it. When I was zero, I was like, "Wow, what is this crisp, cool weather?" Of course, today doesn't feel that crisp and cool, but by this weekend, we'll be in Miami. But by this weekend, it should be crisp and nice and hoodie weather down here. Um, it's just—I mean, you got it all, man. You got baseball playoffs. You got you got football conference games. You got. Uh, NFL games that start to matter more. You got NASCAR. I like NASCAR. I got you got NASCAR playoffs going on that are fun. Um, you just got you got the weather. You got the hiking. You got the it just you can do anything you want outside or you can do anything you want inside. It's just the best of every. Uh, every do you capacity. hike mountains in in Oh in yeah, October? I do a lot of hiking. We we like uh, you know going up Sharp Top or you know going to Peaks of Otter. And, we haven't done that yet. It sounds miserable. But uh, we, we want well, no, just hiking in general. Oh. You're an avid We're, indoorsman, are you? I am an avid. I'm an avid, avid couchman. Um, I, I, I am excellent at it, and uh, don't like to leave it, especially when we're not working or you know not uh, writing and things like that. But in the area we are in, I feel like we have to kind of take the kids and show. Like they can't hate it just because their dad's lazy. You know, it's like it's <laughs> like that seems like I'm doing them a disservice. But at the same time, you have to really fight your instincts on that. It's really hard to kind of. Have, have you seen the Jim that. Gaffigan bit about camping? No. Happy camper. <laughs> nobody, nobody ever uses that unless they're being sarcastic. I saw a preview for him. He's doing a lot of dramatic roles now. He's Is acting. He? Yeah. yeah. Did you hear his wife had a uh, came out a book? Um, she had the uh, brain tumor the size of a pear. Jeez. Yeah, she's doing a bunch of press, and I guess she's okay now. But they got a ton of kids. There. They got like seven yeah, they got kids. five kids. Five. She wrote a book about it, and all of her kids are on the cover, and it's uh, very scary. But um, on a different note, that was that was depressing. It was so, dark. Yeah, that was, <laughs> Uh, now I forgot. You go second. I forgot okay. about my second. Uh, well, life. this is kind of dark too, but it goes I in took with a the dark October. Turn. Yeah, American Horror Story. It's back. Oh, you like your American it's Horror. It's back. No, you know what? It's been. It's been. Uh, Roanoke was bad. I thought Roanoke would be good because you know I worked for the Roanoke Times. Right. Um, I didn't really like Coven. Uh, Freak Show was okay. Asylum was amazing. If you're, if you're gonna watch that show, go to season two. Watch Asylum. That's the best it can offer. But I'd sort of given up on it. But this new one is 1984, is what it's called. And it's just hack and slash cabin in the woods stuff. And it's, yeah, I'm into it. The first <laughs> season, man, he's cutting off ears and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He takes trophies. He's, he's some, you know, Vietnam vet uh, who, who was a killing machine in Vietnam. And so you already know who the killer is? Like, yeah. Like His two name episodes is Mr. In? Jingles. Well, I've only watched the first episode so far. So you, right off the bat, they tell you who it is. Oh, yeah. Don't you got to get some suspense in there? I, I think it's just going to be who gets killed next. And, you know, that it, it's very uh, it's very paint by numbers. But uh, it's it's I, I'm, I welcome it back. It, the franchise had such promise. The first season was good. What season is this? Ten, this 11, nine, nine, nine. I did not see the cult one and I did not see whatever last year's was. Because um, I just, apocalypse or something. Oh yeah, I d- actually I did watch apocalypse. And I wasn't that it. like a sequel? I just I watched like five it. episodes or six episodes, and I was like, ah, I just not invested. And I like I like post a lot apocalyptic tales. I love Twenty Eight Days Later. That's one of the greatest uh, horror movies ever made. I think uh, so. Uh, that's that's number two. All right. Well, number two, October is my big. October is a good month. Uh, that's when. For some reason, books. The, the theory was they used to release like major authors used to release their books uh, in uh, like May, so people had summer reading. And at some point in the last like 10, 10 12 years, they changed it and decided that it was fall, so they could be uh, Christmas presents and presents for the holidays. Ah. And so now, like uh, John Sanford, Michael Conley, and Lee Child, all mystery writers, like you know, top, arguably the top in the top five yeah, of their craft. Uh, all New York Times bestsellers, all release new books. John Sanford releases two books a year, so he does also in May. But all their books, their new books, are released this month. So I will have lots of reading to do, uh, hopefully, on the plane trips we have. Um, so all three of those authors I, I've read for more than 
probably almost 20 years now, which is scary to think about. But yeah, so October is that month. I don't know why that the philosophy shifted, but it did. So October is the month. You buy all your books. You don't do library deals. I don't do library. I should do library because I mean it's really expensive. But I I like you know because I guess the uh, profession we're in. I hope people support the written word. The written word and your favorite. Uh, content producers and yeah. so I um, I don't have a space for any more books but I still buy them so okay. yeah I buy books I buy a lot of books that's where that's where all our closets are, are just books okay awesome well my number three I usually wait in the previous iterations of this podcast I would wait until right around Halloween to make this recommendation but I want to give folks the entire month to to get to this movie run do not walk to the movie trick or treat Trick this, yes. our treat. Okay. And there's, I saw there was an article just got posted that there was supposed to be a sequel and it hasn't been done yet. Oh, the I, director I, is talking would, about why it's been delayed. So maybe you should Google that. Clever, funny, scary, uh, violent. Uh, it's got it all. It's got it all. If you, especially if you are a fan of the horror genre, there is a little bit of uh, satire on the horror genre, but there's also the meat and potatoes horror that you come to love. And it's well written. The dialogue is great. Uh, it's spooky. It's so much fun. Trick or treat. Don't miss it. <laughs> oh, is there anybody notable in it? Like any stars? I don't think so. No. So just did it go straight to video? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Video on demand. It's got like, a, I don't think straight to video is a thing anymore. So straight to uh, uh, digital release. It's got a following. Was it a streamer? It's got a follow. No, this is, this came out like ten or fifteen years ago. So well, I'm thinking this is an older movie. I'm thinking it was straight to DVD. Isn't the R reverse too? Trick R treat. Yeah, it might be. It might be like Toys R Us. Like real clever. I think. I think it's just a regular R. Um, <laughs> my third one. So we were in Target the other day, and. Uh, the youngest had a complete meltdown, like I've been there, man. And um, screaming, yelling at me, and then started like kicking the uh, the bottom of the uh, the aisle, and you know threatening me, and I uh, was very unhappy with his father. Um, and so I had to carry him out, and he was kicking and screaming, and I was trying to do my best to keep it together. Um, what's the right? What do you think the right reaction is? Because I was very frustrated because people kept looking at us. Sure. And so, like, and maybe some of them were sympathetic looks. Maybe some of them were like, you're a terrible parent. Do th- I think the right reaction is to just look away. <laughs> <laughs> to do your best not to acknowledge it. Like, there's a there should be an unwritten agreement. Like, I know what's happening. I know it's bothersome. I know it's ugly. Look away from the other people or the child or both. Look away from me and the child. Don't look oh, at us. Oh, as a person. Oh, like I'm the saying like the other others. people. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sta- the, like the etiquette should be now like the, un- you know, baseball's unwritten rules. This should be an unwritten rule <laughs> that when that's happening to just like act like, you know, you put, oh, look at this book. And it's like, you know, like, look at this beautiful plant that I'm not going to buy and just not acknowledge the obvious disaster of a situation that's going on in the store. Like we all know, you can all hear, you can all see it, like, and you can all have a laugh at it after we walk away. But don't you think like they should just, you should just, that that's yes. like, because like when you look, even yeah. if it's like a sympathetic look, it's still like. You're you're acknowledging something that like causes deep shame in a parent <laughs> that you're not good enough to figure like cut this off at the pass. Yeah, I feel the same way when I'm walking my dogs and my dog. <laughs> that is what it's like. And, it's and like dogs will be us. like doing other dogs will be doing crazy stuff, and I'll try to act like you know, oh, you know, that's totally normal. Like I understand. Um, you ever seen that Louis C.K. bit about about exactly the kind of scenario you're talking about where? <laughs> He's like, when I wasn't married and I didn't have kids, I would always be like, well, uh, you know, what a what a mean parent. I'm never going to be a mean parent like that. And now that I have kids, I'm like, what did that little bastard do to that poor man? Um, but it's, but it does does I, change your perspective. Yes, a lot. it does. But I just I, I, so next time you see that happen uh, when, you know, they're not looking at you, you watch it, laugh, have your laugh. But then when they <laughs> when they're when your they're laugh, walking towards you, titter. when they're walking towards you, just look away, look on the ground, look at your feet. Don't acknowledge it. Because it, it, it is it is with deep shame that I had to carry out my child kicking and screaming um, from the store. Uh, didn't get what I wanted to get. Um, and uh, 
So that should be my that's my unwritten t- unwritten rule I for agree. for others. Yeah, I've been because I think I've parents have this idea where it's like, well, if you look and you nod sympathetically, like we've been <laughs> there. But it's like I don't want that. Doesn't I don't need that you connection. Don't I don't want. I know what's happening. I don't want to be. Yeah, it's just too much. It's too in your face. Just just look away. I think that's fair. That's my that's, that's my last. Year. All right, let's get to our. That's what fans had to do at Virginia Tech's <laughs> game on Friday. I think we just we saw it. We just had to look away. They were looking at their feet um, to get through it. Um, that might be what you have to do again this weekend. So it might be. It might be. So what's the final? What's the line? Thirteen and a half. Thirteen and a half. Miami. I, th- I don't think the their offense is very good. So we'll go thirty-one to seven. Thirty-one seven. Wow. Miami. Wow, it's a spanking. That is a spanking. But it sort of underscores the fact that Miami's not the greatest team, so I don't know if they can score 40. If they All score right. 40, that's going to be ugly. Okay, I'm going to surprise everyone again this week, I think. What are you going to do? Are you going to do something crazy? Uh, no, not too crazy. Miami 24, Virginia Tech 17. It's a close one. Virginia Tech covers. Virginia Tech gets away from it all and and Still plays good. better. Um I kind of feel like if Virginia Tech's going to win, if they're going to pull up an ups- upset here, they're going to have to score 35 or something like that because I think their their offense would need to really carry the load, uh, the passing game specifically. But I don't know. I kind of feel like this defense will have a fight in it. You know, they'll they'll have sort of a, that junkyard dog mentality that, that they're looking for. They'll It'll show up in this game. It's hard not to get up for Miami when you just see the uniforms. I mean, you just Virginia Tech is it's in their blood to be uh, to to hate Miami and to want to to want to beat Miami. Um, uh, there'll be no lack of motivation. There'll also be a, the fear motivation. I mean, they don't want another. Like you saw, uh, who was it that you mentioned that uh, tweeted the? It was a Farley that yeah, tweeted yeah, the Farley. apology. I mean, these guys don't want to have to tweet another apology. <laughs> yeah, they they you know and they. Well, and you can only apologize so many times before fans don't even buy at that point, right? Right, right. So I think I'm 2-2 two and two against the spread with Hokies' picks. I was right about both of their losses. I was wrong about both of their wins. I thought that they would cover in both instances. but It's um, a hard team to predict because when you're bad, like, it's just, you know, you know it's like, who knows? But, I, like I said, maybe there's a world in which Duke is the, the, the best team in the Coastal and – They'll be I, facing Clemson in December, and Virginia Tech will be seven and seven and six again, or six and seven, to make a bowl game, and that's that that's that that's what they'll be. I, but I, I mean, don't I don't think that's likely. But I, that's I mean I, that's I guess certainly possible. I like Quinn Harris, and I like their coach. You know, I guess it was Colin Coward that used to always say, "If you got a coach and you got a quarterback, you know, you got a chance." And, and he's been around. And I, mean, I, I about like Duke's coach, and I like seeing their reps. He's so. been there for four years, so he knows the offense inside yeah. and out. But it's like Virginia. Um, I like their coach, and I like their quarterback. A quarterback uh, pooped the bed on Saturday, but I mean he's he's uh, he's a good player, you know. <laughs> get body trained, um, and they got to keep him healthy too. He's taking some shots. He so has, um, yeah. long way till that Virginia game. I'm sure it feels like it's like three years away right now for the coaching staff here. That it's like we can't even. Well, they got that clock count caught. Uh, Virginia countdown they, clock going. They, they Virginia. got the clock, but not at Virginia Tech. They've, they're they're counting down till till Saturday to make sure it's not a <laughs> nuclear disaster. Because uh, holy cow, uh, and it's just gonna get worse if it's uh, they lose again. So. <laughs> it's, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. But don't you um, do, do you do you think they? I mean, I I think they have a chance to win. And that is a There's ridiculous. A that is a ridiculous thing to say after what we saw on Saturday night. But my, but I think it speaks to more to Miami is not very good. Right. I think Miami's a, a, the average, and I think Virginia Tech's not as bad as they were on Saturday, or the previous week, <laughs> or the previous week. Well, actually, yeah. the previous week they're on by, so I don't know how they did. Maybe they did okay. <laughs> they maybe. All right. Well, it didn't sound very confident. So what are we gonna do next week? I'll be in Miami. What are you gonna are you gonna call me? We're gonna do this over the phone. Or? We could, we could, we could do it like that. Yeah. Yeah, we could maybe. Do or you could do it. You could send a telegram, and I'll just read it on air. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. I think we need to get together. Uh, even though we're, we'll be talking about Rhode Island, uh, we do need to break down the Miami game as best we can. Can you? Can you say right now? What is the Rhode Island mascot? Uh, I'm gonna say the roadie. What is that? Like a, like a you know like a concert roadie with a you know earrings and 
tats and all that. That's your legitimate guess? Yeah. <laughs> They're wrong? I don't, I don't know. I'm looking it up. <laughs> Rhode Island mascot. This is this is good. This makes for good radios. You think they're the Rhode Island dead air? The anchor man. Just one, not I men. Guess. Not not. It's uh, people ask what the weirdest. <laughs> they are on the list of what's the weirdest uh, mascots. Eight of the weirdest mascots. So <laughs> okay. apparently, it's just one anchor man. We gotta execute better than this. <laughs> we gotta execute. <laughs> we gotta execute. Um, I thought that was executed pretty good. <laughs> Is it really just one anchor man? That doesn't make any sense. That is weird. All right. Okay. Well, that's just about do it. We'll end on a high. <laughs> well, they don't have nearly as many fountains as Furman. No. No. Furman it is an anchor man. They are the anchor man. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's that is completely. Fa- that, that is all we will talk about. Hokies should be able to gang up on a single anchor man. <laughs> you know, you would think. All right, that should just do it for this week. Um, for Mike Nizolik, this is Eric McFarlane. We always appreciate you guys, guys joining us, and we will catch you next week.